if that's okay. Good morning. How's y'all's week been? <laughs> Is anyone like done with storm fronts moving through and pollen and coronavirus and, and craziness? Um, as, as Ron was talking about all that stuff, there is, a, there is a truism in life that blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape. Um, I have noticed that like in my life, um, everything changes and none of those changes ever happen when we want them to. We're never prepared for changes. I'm never prepared for the day that's going to change my life. And when we start getting flustered about like, oh no, what's, what's gonna happen in November? What's gonna happen in December? What's gonna happen in January? Hey, God is still on the throne. And even though that things might happen that, um, that are outside of my plan for God's life, he's got it. He, and you know, especially with the, the spiritual development that, that we're on, the course of life that we're on, he's got this mapped out. He has gone through Google. He's done MapQuest. Anyone remember MapQuest? He has gone through the Atlas. The first time I ever drove to Michigan, I had to map out the, the route with an Atlas and go, we're going to be on this road for this long. There was, like, I didn't have a phone that I could, I had an old Nokia the first time I drove to Michigan. And it's like, Whoever the navigator is of my life has got this. All I have to do is have a good time riding. Hey, look, it's the world's largest frying pan. It's the world's largest ball of string. This is a fun trip, but you've got family. You put all your family in one car and it's like, hey, we're going to have a great trip. And the world falls apart. Kids start screaming. Kids start making interesting smells. You know, and it's like, what? What is that? And like everybody's yelling at each other. And so you finally get to, the, at, to Disney World and everybody's bent out of shape. And it's like, that's not, the, that's not the plan that we're on. We do have the ability to all sit here and just go, and I'm not just talking about Church on the Hill. Like our world's going crazy right now. But even with our world going crazy, it's going to be all right. Taking the words of uh, Prophet Marley. Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. I want to talk today about our spiritual health. We kind of touch base on our, like, our mental health and our relational health, um, and it's a church, and one might imagine that we would spend some time talking about our spiritual health, right? But the, the hard part is, like, how in the world do you check your spiritual health? Does anyone have like a spiritual check engine light that comes on? My check engine light stays on, and my car is not caught on fire yet, so evidently it's not that big, big of a deal. How many different warning signs pop up in your life that you're like, well, I've not died yet, so yeah, we're fine. How many warning lights pop up in your family that it's like, eh, we'll get to it next season. We'll worry about that next season. It's fine. I don't exactly know what the TPMS whatever thing is. I know it has something to do with my tires, but that warning light's been on in my car forever. My tires still have air in them. Now, if it's that hard, I know that somebody's listening to this like, oh my gosh, just 
let me help you. Um, if it's that hard to diagnose the things that are going on in our car, how hard is it to diagnose the things that are going on in our spirit? Where is your spirit? Does your spirit live in your brain? We always talk about our heart. Is it in our stomachs? You know, the Greeks thought that the spirit was like down here, not the Greeks, the Hebrews, thought that the spirit was down here. So anytime that Jesus was moved with compassion, it says that his bowels would move. And it's like, what in the world? It's because the Hebrews thought that the spirit came from here. And so when Jesus was moved in compassion, have you ever like been heart sick? Have you ever been worried about something and your brain hurts? Or are our spirits in heaven? Or are they in another dimension? How in the world do we get a dipstick into our spirits to check and see if there's enough spiritual oil? I don't, have a, I don't have an app that I can check. I don't have some, you know, DOS settings that I can go in and figure out what the computer of my spirit looks like and go, hey, is this healthy? There's a lot of times I can go up to my friends and I can go, hey, is my spirit healthy? And my friends that know me incredibly well, probably they would say, I don't know, are you? Let's check. So in, in order to even start checking and see if, to see if we are healthy spiritually, Where's our app? Where's our screen? Where's our dipstick? Where's our spiritual connection that I, I have to go figure out, I have to go get the user, or user's manual out to figure out where my, my spiritual dipstick is? Um, I want to read a few verses out of Matthew 15. There's 20 of them, so I'm going to read quickly. Um, I think all of it is pertinent to us. So this is Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Um, write it down if you don't have it. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, you don't have your phone, you can look it up later. Um, starting in verse 1, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived in Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore the tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? It's like, whoa. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to disrespect or to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say that we don't need to honor our parents. So you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, the mouths of these people will honor me, or they will honor me with their lips, but their hearts are going to be far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God. If you've never been in the church for more than two years, you might not understand this about us, but we can turn our Christianity into this weird religion where we care more about our traditions. We care more about the way we do things instead of what we do. I said a long time ago, I've never had a conversation with somebody that's left the church because we didn't take care of the widows and the orphans enough. Usually when we break relationship in a church, it's because some, you know, man-made dumb law. You know, the stained glass isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. I don't like this. I don't like this. And it doesn't really have anything to do about the nature of our, our Christianity. So in my heart, and not to just pick on the Pharisees, in my heart, I do this. I make the commands of God to no effect to me because I would rather do things my way than God's way. 
Then Jesus called to the crowd and said, come and listen. Try to understand it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but you are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, don't you realize that you've offended the Pharisees by what you just said? I wonder how many times the disciples said that. By the way, Jesus, you have offended the Pharisees. Like, well, good. They need to be offended. When I act like that, I need to be offended. And if we as Christians don't embrace the, the frustrating things that Jesus says to expose the, the nasty places of our heart, we never grow. Uh, don't you realize that you've offended the Pharisees by what you said? And then Jesus said, every plant that is not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. Well, that's a verse to put on the refrigerator. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person leads another blind person, they both fall into a dish. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says that people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus said? Anything that we eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. Then the words, but the words that you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For what, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with one unwashed hands will never defile you. So might I propose that part of our spiritual dipstick, part of our spiritual app is to think about the words that are coming out of our mouth. Notice how the words that come out of our, our mouth reflect what's going on in our heart. Have you ever, um, I'm, I'm somebody that I don't know what thoughts are rattling around in my head until I say them out loud and that's like, oh, I didn't realize that I felt so passionately about that. Or I didn't, I didn't realize that I was still frustrated at that. And so I, I let words bubble up out of my mouth to take a temperature gauge of where my heart is. Um, but how easy is it for us to say all the right words when we're in this room? How easy is it to, to navigate the proper angle of worshiping arms? If I can get my hands up high enough, then I communicate spiritual health to other people. Um, I don't know if you've ever been around people that are just like a little bit over-spiritual with the words that they use. It's like, I don't feel like I'm talking to a real human being. I feel that like I'm talking into a, I had a, a woody doll of like, there's a snake in my boot. You pull the string in the back, but somebody's poison the water hole. Well, a lot of the times, like us Christians can do that with our spiritual phrases. How are you doing today? Well, I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Until our batteries start running low. And have you ever seen one of those demonic toys when the batteries are running low? There's a snake in my boots. Golly. You have like the, the speak and spell when the batteries are running low? Come play with me. Golly, no. Well, when our batteries run low, how are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Golly. We can say the right things and we can do the right things. So even though that that's a dipstick, our dipstick can be wrong. Our, our app can give us faulty information. Our dashboard can give us faulty information. So I want to say today, we need to change the way we view spiritual health because there is simply no 100% foolproof way to check and see how you're doing spiritually. I wish there was an app. I wish we could plug you up to a computer and go, well, you're good. 
The thing that I want us to change, and we need to change all of it today, you know, we're going to be brand new people when we walk out of here. I want us to think that we have a very flawed view of spiritual health. When we describe how we're doing spiritually, there are times that we can feel like we have experienced a mountaintop and it's like everything's coming up roses and I just cried for two hours in worship and I read my Bible this week and I can feel the presence of the Lord and I led 15 people to the Lord last week and everything's great. We will call that like a mountaintop experience. And then when we go through seasons in life where it's like, does he still know that I'm down here? Like, I mean, y'all probably don't experience this, but I go through times where it's like, I wonder if my prayers get stuck in the ceiling. Like maybe that there's something wrong with the plaster of my bedroom that the prayers can't get out of it. Maybe there's something wrong with me. God, it feels like it's been three months since you've been around. How, how long are you going to put me off? You know, we start praying like David's Psalms of like, forever? Are you going to ignore me forever? And we would call those spiritual valleys. So our Christianity is this pinball experience from a mountaintop to a valley, mountaintop to a valley. Sometimes we get closer to the Lord and sometimes we get further away. But the paradigm that I want to change is none of that is true. It's, it's not even a good mental paradigm to keep in our heads. Sure, we have good days and we have bad days. But my spiritual health is not mine to maintain. I can't even get to my spirit. So how in the world do I add to my spiritual health? How do I detract from my spiritual health? Now, the thing that I want to say today is if you are a believer in Christ, you have been made into a new creation. He says, behold, all things have passed away and I make all things new. There is a spiritual seed that came from heaven. When we believed the gospel, it got deposited into our heart. And he says that when his word went inside of us, there springs up from our belly a river of living water. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and he's like, woman, you, if you would have known who I was, you would have asked me for rivers of living water so that you would never thirst again. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have expressed faith in the gospel, there is a river of living water that is inside of you. Now, that never feels true. So what the, what the issue is, is not that we have a problem with our spiritual health. We ignore, we have a mental problem. I forget how healthy I am. When I go to the pantry, I have forgotten that there is food in the pantry, because I have let the golden arches distract me and go, ooh, you need this. It's like, I do need that. Tell me, golden arches, what do I need to buy? And my heart gets sideways. I get on Instagram and I, and I hear, you know, something that somebody says on Instagram or I, I run into somebody that's spiritually mature at church and it's like, wow, I'm not like that. When I pray, I don't pray like that. And we get, we get hoodwinked 
by something that the enemy does inside of our heart to try to detract us. You don't have this food at home. You need this. Or we run into people that are intentionally trying to manipulate us. We'll say, well, buy my new teaching series and I will, I'll send you the, the 16 secrets of the secret walk of God. And it's like, ooh, I need to know that. Hey, sign up for my course so that you can get the secret nature of how to pull people up out of hospital beds. Well, I want to do that. And then when you take the course, it's like, well, if you, if you write a $10,000 check, it activates your, your miracle working power. And as long as you're paying somebody money, the spirit can move in you. Whole sections of our church have been, not our church, but you know, the church have been lied to and manipulated by somebody that's trying to convince you that you don't already have a river of living water that is welling up in your heart, flowing out. And as that river flows out to our friends and our families, the Bible says that that is the water that feeds the trees that heal the nations. It's like Psalm 1. I am like a, a tree planted by the rivers. I don't cast forth my, my fruit out of due season. I don't rot on the vine. My leaves don't wither. Now, we, ne we don't experience that because we have, not, we have chosen to not believe the truth about us. Now, if I can believe a lie about myself, so... I mention this um, often, that one of the lies that I wrestle with, today is a really good day and I don't believe this lie, but you know, if my blood sugar gets a little bit low or I have a, I have a frustrating week, I can believe lies about myself that I'm, I'm a pain to be around. I mean, sometimes I can't be a pain to be around. I mean, that, but I'm not a pain all the time. I will, I will be tempted to believe that my friends don't actually like me. But my friends that are sitting here today are like, that's ridiculous. But when it gets bad, I can choose to believe a lie about myself, that I'm unlikable. Well, once I believe that lie, all of a sudden I have changed my entire mental worldview. And the funny thing is, I will start behaving in a way that pushes my friends away. And then I'll go, see? <laughs> but it's like, you manufactured every bit of that. It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. The, the thing is that we don't believe that we are as spiritually alive as we actually are. And so I believe, oh, I'm just struggling to make it. I'm, I'm barely holding on. And so we will manifest around us that world. I don't actually believe that God hears my prayers. And so my brain is looking for all of the different reasons why that's true. Like, I will, I will look over a thousand different things that the Lord has done for me and find that one thing that, like, I'm still waiting. You know, my switch is still on layaway. And I've not gotten this Christmas present yet. So I find the one time that the Lord's, you know, moving slow in my opinion. And I'll go, see, God doesn't listen to me. Or I'll remember the one time that I couldn't remember that scripture and be like, ah, I don't know scripture. And I paint myself into a corner where I just give up and go, okay, I guess I'm not very spiritually mature. And then I would spend the rest of my Christianity chasing this carrot that I never can get a hold of. We have got to, in order for us to talk for the rest of the month about our spiritual health and spiritual maturity, the first thing that we have got to do is all of us at Church on the Hill, 
If you've been here for 20 years, if this is your first day, you are right where you need to be. All of us have got to get a paradigm shift. We have got to change our worldview of who we are. That I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's not because I've done a good job. It's because of the seed that he planted in me. I want to read uh, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14 through 21. It says says, he's talking to believers. He's talking to believers that are not doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. He wrote 1 Corinthians, and the whole book is about like, well, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right, you're not doing this right. You need to break up with your mother-in-law because there was somebody in the Corinthian church that was dating his mother-in-law. And so Paul writes a book to the Corinthians and goes, hey, you need to stop dating your mother-in-law. Ew. All you rich people are getting drunk at communion and you're starving the poor people out. You people are being racist. You're being sectarian. First Corinthians is this big long list of all the different things that the Corinthian church was doing wrong. This is writing to the same group of people. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we have believed Christ died for all, we also believe that all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Might I suggest to us today, stop evaluating yourself from a human point of view. We stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs in Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It's gone. Not that you still have it in some suitcase somewhere. Like all of your old addictions, all of your old patterns of belief they're gone. And the reason why we still experience the negative consequences of that is that we as a new creation still have that old momentum. So we play dress up. We make believe. We make pretend. Have you ever seen kids? Like when I was a kid, every stick that I picked up was Excalibur. And every tree was a giant. I say when I was a kid. That happened last week. We make pretend and we make believe, but the frustrating thing is that as believers, we make pretend that we're still in bondages of addiction. We make pretend that we are still captives. Like how tormenting would it be if we walked back there to children's church and was like, what are we playing? Prisoners. Why would you make pretend that you're a prisoner? I don't know, we do it well. We are making pretend that we are still shackled in bondage. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. So anytime that you hear somebody say that God sent a hurricane to Louisiana because they're sinful, 
God was in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. If you think that he is not answering your prayers because of your sinful life, God was in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You are forgiven. Did you deserve to be forgiven? No, it's a free gift. God is not counting your sins against you. You are. You've got a laundry list of sins that you've not let yourself off the hook for. And as long as we keep people in unforgiveness, other people and ourselves, we, we commit to a rut of a lifestyle that we never get free from. Not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. If you believe the gospel, you have been made right with God through Christ. So when I, when I ask, how are we doing spiritually? I'm great. I have a fountain of living water that is welling up in me. And that's different than just the rote response of, I'm blessed and highly favored. It's not, the, it's not the Christian saying that we keep on reiterating until one day we might believe. Today, we have got to have a spiritual transformation in our heart of I have got to believe this about myself. Then whatever we talk about spiritual health or spiritual maturity is just the degree that that inner world is reflected in my natural life. Now we can be under layers of bondage, we can have strongholds, we can have demonic junk floating around in our head, we can have family generational curses that are, that are keeping us in these ruts and that new life has not broken out to the surface yet. You know, because when you get saved, it's like, well, is the sky bluer? No. Are you any less addicted to whatever it is that you're addicted to? No. So it takes a while for that inner reality to manifest in the physical world. But that doesn't mean that that inner life is not going on in there. We have got weeds that crack concrete to bring life out. There is, a, there is a seed of life that is inside of you that is working its way through whatever layers of asphalt and concrete that you have got. The enemy in your personality is trying to shove your new life down. I promise you, it can't stop that new life from coming out. So we have got to stop looking at ourselves in the mirror going, when are you gonna get it together? The truth is you already have. Now, what we need to be asking is how do I mature spiritually? How do I let that inner life come out to the surface? Well, that's a laundry list of things that we're gonna be spending the rest of the month talking about. How do I let this manifest outward? It looks a lot of like spending time in prayer. It looks like going to the word. It looks like sitting under teaching to retrain this physical mind that we have to where it comes into alignment under Christ. But might I say, that there's a lot of us that just simply don't believe the gospel. When we talk about like how salvation um, is experienced by people, we as the church have done a lot of doctrinally questionable things to try to communicate salvation because it's hard. Um, 
say 500 years ago, in order to get saved, you'd have to spend days and weeks in prayer. Martin Luther would spend months praying for salvation. We, we know today that that's ridiculous. You don't pray for salvation. You believe the gospel. But we still communicate things to people of like, well, how do you get saved? Well, ask Jesus into your heart. What does that mean? We, we've told people to do this repeat after me prayer. But none of that is found in Scripture. So what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that everybody in this room, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if you've come uh, forward during an altar call and you've recited a prayer that you're not saved, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that reciting a prayer does not save you. I'm saying that asking Jesus into your heart does not save you. It does not create this. What I am saying is that you've got to believe the gospel. God created everything to be perfect created you to have a wonderful relationship. And we went through a really bad breakup. Our relationship was great. And because we chose to, and I'm not necessarily talking about Adam and Eve, me. I chose to live a lifestyle that warped and broke my relationship with God. I chose to believe things about myself that manipulated my identity and twisted it around to where I was this messed up, scarred, wounded person. I identified with my sin that I am darkness. I am destruction. I am this warped individual. And I made that a part of my identity so securely that as Jesus wanted to come and judge that mess that's in my life, I am standing as a hostage, standing in front of my kidnapper. Jesus is trying to get a, like a sniper shot on the enemy, and I keep defending him. And so what God did is he came in the form of humanity. He came and looked just like me, lived a life just like me, he married himself to my identity stronger than my connection to my darkness. He came in and as a hostage negotiator, hey, why are you protecting that person? Why are you protecting your manipulator? Why are you protecting your kidnapper? And all of a sudden, I started going, There's an, I don't have to jump in front of the bullet for my kidnapper? And Jesus goes, no. Would you come over and hang out with me? Jesus attached our identities together and then went into the grave, pulling everything that was dark and broken in me down into the grave with him. One of the amazing things about the spiritual laws that govern the world is that sin causes death causes destruction. When I warp my view of myself and my relationship with my father, it lets death into my life. Just the same way, if I would go out here to these rose bushes and cut them off from the ground, they might not look like they died overnight, but eventually that death will seep through the rest of the leaves and they will look like they're dead. So anything that's attached to sin in this universe is destined to die. Well, it should. It's diseased. It's broken. It's been cut off. But this amazing thing is if anybody dies and they don't have death reigning in their heart, 
physical death can't keep them down. And so all of a sudden, a few days after Jesus went into the grave, death lost its grip on Jesus and he resurrected. Well, the amazing thing about that is when he attached my identity to him, I came up out of the grave with him. All of the broken, diseased, warped, scarred, twisted views of myself, my identity, my, my, uh, the core of who I am that was broken didn't have life reigning in it, so it stayed in the grave. And all of a sudden, old things were passed away, and behold, he's made all things new. So it's now no longer I that live, but it is Christ that is living in me. I have got this well of living water that is bubbling up inside of me. And there are times that I can't see it because I'm not smart enough yet. I'm not mature enough yet. I have not been given the eyes to see myself accurately yet. That's what this whole process of Christianity looks like, is us waking up to the truth that happened to us 2,000 years ago. So there's a handful of people that are sitting in this room that have never realized what is true about you is that God wants to have a great relationship with you. And you think that it is your sin that is keeping you distant from God. That God is mad at mud that you've tracked into the house. That's not true. He's not scared about your sin. Your sin does not offend God. He knows what you've gone through. He knows who you are. And what he is trying to do is trying to get you to wake up to what has already been true of you. So could we, we're about to take communion, we're about to receive communion, this would be a great day for you to let that old nature drop and for you to start saying either A, I don't know that I've got that that fountain in me. I don't know that I've ever had a relationship with Jesus. I don't have that spark of life that's inside of me. Could you today say, yeah, that sounds like something I'd rather have. That you stop jumping in front of your old self to defend it and just agree with Jesus. He died so that you could live. We don't have to, there's no magic spell to say. There's no special prayer. There's nothing that you have to do. All you have to do is take him at his word. Believe the gospel, the good news that God's not mad at you that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that God was in Christ saying, come back home. I can't go back home. Dad's mad at me. No, he's not. He's not mad at you. He loves you. Well, if he knew what I was doing, he knows what you're doing. He's not mad at you. God kicked me out of the house. No, he didn't. You left. All it takes is for you to let your ego die, let your pride die, let your desire to be right. And get me, I understand how hard that is. There's something that is twisted about us that we, we have this strange feeling of joy when we're like, no, now my sin is a big deal. No, it's not. Jesus has never met a sinner that has been able to sin stronger than he has the ability to save. Can't do it. (laughs) Mob bosses come into the kingdom. He had, Jesus had Judas working on staff with him. Judas was in charge of the finances and Jesus knew that he was stealing money the entire time. 
and never treated Judas different. He knows. He knows you're stealing money. He knows what you're doing. Doesn't make it right, but you'll never get clean unless you come through Jesus. So let's look at our communion elements. Um, if, if, yeah, I think everybody has them on their tables. And if uh, you don't, just borrow some from your neighbor. So we've got a handful of people that today need to believe what is true about them for the first time. You need to let your pride go. You need to let your ego go and just finally go, okay. Have you ever walked into a swimming pool and you're still like you're trying not to get into the water because it's too cold? And eventually there comes a time where you're just like, okay. Or ladies, you know, how, how many times have you spent at the swimming pool and you're trying not to get your hair wet? And eventually it gets to the point where you're like, okay. It's wet enough, I might as well just have fun. You are close enough to the Lord that you tried to dance around to try not to get completely wet. Today's the day just to like, hey, just jump in the water. Just let your hair get wet. It's going to happen anyways. Might as well do it now, and then you can have fun. And you won't be fuddy-duddy sitting on the edge of the pool. Or we've got a handful of believers and you Christians and you've been a believer since Moses was around and you still don't believe what the gospel says about you. You still believe that God is angry with you. You still believe that God is upset and he might heal you if you make him happy enough or he might bless you or he might pay your mortgage off if you would just make him happier. You need to believe that God is happy with you, loves you, warts and all. He loves you as you are not some future perfect version of yourself. And if we can all look at our communion elements and realize that that transformation isn't because I'm awesome, it's not because I'm smart, it's not because that I'm pure or holy, it's because God paid a price through his body and his blood for that to happen. And we can, at some future date, we can get in the mechanics of why he had to die in order to separate me from my nasty identity. We can get all into that. But today it's enough just to simply believe. He wants you home. What a great day to come home. What a great day to bury the hatchet and let the feud die. Hey. Father, we come to you today. And we just want to walk through the front door. Oh, Father, forgive me for defending my old identity that you're wanting to die. Forgive me for, for viewing myself through a warped and twisted lens. Forgive me for all the, all the running around that I've done to try to defend myself from the truth. You're better than I've ever imagined. I want to remind you, you're clean You're clean. You don't have to beg him to wash you. All we have to do is just kick back and let him take us where we need to be. Can we stop fussing about the restroom breaks on the road trip? Can we stop fussing about who's touching who? Who's on my side of the car? I didn't get my canned drink. 
I don't want to eat this for lunch. Can we stop fussing about that and just simply enjoy the family trip? Holy Spirit, today, collectively, we open our hearts and we confess that I have a warped view of myself. Holy Spirit, transform my life to where this outer shell starts resembling that inner truth. Lord, open up my eyes that I would be able to see the moments in time that that spring bubbles up and heals the nations without even me trying. Oh, Father, I pray that you would bless our children's mentors back there and all of our kids as they're about to start school. Lord, let them learn their identity here so that some bully is not more convincing than the gospel, that some idiot on the playground is not more manipulative or not more convincing than what they find in Scripture. Lord, let these kids that are under our care establish a relationship with you and let them learn that now so they don't have to unlearn stuff when they're, when they're older. Ah, oh, Father, we need you today. We're thankful for the sacrifice that you, you gave on behalf of us. We don't, we don't see ourselves as, as worthy of that. I don't think that I am that valuable. But I choose today to believe what you say about me instead of my own thoughts. Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and take the elements. The rest of what we're going to be talking about over the next month is that salvation is an outward flow of something that is already true of you. All you're trying to do is let that inner man out for a little bit of air. And that we don't change spiritually from the outside in. You singing the right songs, you saying the right prayers, you reading the right Bible verses does not change you from the outside in. You are transformed from the inside out. And as we start all cluing up to that fact, we will start transforming the worlds because we will manifest the kingdom that's inside of us, we will manifest to the world outside of us. But if the kingdom inside of me, I have convinced myself is little and insignificant and dark, well, that's the, that's the world that I will manifest outside. So how about we start realizing what is true of us so that we can manifest the kingdom of God in Cookville and in Allgood and in Baxter, Rickman and Livingston, in our jobs, in our families. Realize what is true of us and let that spill out. Amen? I love y'all. Y'all have a great week. Let us know how we can be praying for you, okay? Bless you guys.